This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. Hey everybody, you're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 45. I received so many questions about pacifiers that I honestly just didn't know the answer to that I reached out to a speech-language pathologist Her name is Amanda. She's delightful. I'm obsessed with her Midwestern accent. Amanda's an SLP and owns Simply Spoken Therapy. See, I can talk about the emotional development aspect and pacifiers as a coping mechanism instead of a coping strategy. And I dove into that a little bit in our coping mechanisms versus coping strategies episode, episode number 38. However, I was getting questions about oral motor development and how it affects speech and things like that. And honestly, I didn't know all the answers. And so I reached out, I found an expert, and we dove into this. However, first, I want to chat real quick about shame and guilt. Because I have found in conversation with other folks that these are feelings that A lot of folks are feeling on the topic of pacifiers. I had one mom who said, well, I didn't know what else to do, so I used a pacifier. And I could tell in the way that she said it and how she said it that she felt shame or she was feeling guilty for having done that. And to be honest, it's okay. Like, you can come back from this and no one is doing this 100% right all the time and no one has all the answers. And that's the whole point of this village. But also, just because you did it for so long doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. Like, once you get new information, you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to say, hey, I'm going to do something differently. I've learned something and this aligns with my value system or this is what I want now. As we go through this, if you have those feelings coming up of shame or guilt or anything like that, I challenge you to work to process those so that you can hear this conversation as a space to learn and to grow Because we're genuinely not here to bring any shame or guilt to you. Would you do me a favor real quick? Would you screenshot you tuning into this episode and put it up on Instagram or on Facebook or share a post, share it in your stories and tag, if it's on Instagram, you can tag seed.and.so 
on Facebook, feel free to tag me. You can tag Seed and Sew. And let folks know that this exists because, guys, no one has to do this alone. And so many folks are doing it in isolation or don't feel like they have a village of support and experts to tap into and all that jazz. And that's the whole point of Voices of Your Village is to build your village with experts in the field of early childhood along with other parents and teachers and caregivers in the trenches right there with you. So could you share it, please? Tag, tag Seed and Sew. Let me know where you're coming from. I love, love, love seeing you tune in. Also, feel free to head over to Facebook and join our group. We are chatting about all the things in there, and it's kind of like a space where you get to essentially have my phone number where you can text me. People drop questions in there all the time. It's seed and so colon voices of your village, and we have other experts in the field of early childhood there to answer your questions as well, other parents, teachers, caregivers, you name it. So come on over. All right, let's do this thing. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today, we are talking about pacifiers. I, in episode number 38, went into pacifiers a little bit in talking about coping strategies versus coping mechanisms. And so I don't really want to tackle it from an emotional development standpoint. To be honest, this was an episode that has sat on my back burner for a little while because it's a hot topic and it's taboo, and I don't want to bring any shame or guilt to the topic because I think a lot of the times we're using pacifiers because we don't know what else to do in this instance or because it's a habit that continued and we're not sure how to pull it out and there's no shame there. The whole point of Seed and Sew and Voices of Your Village is to bring experts in the field with parents in the trenches so we can give you tools that you might not have right now. You don't have to have all the answers. And so After sitting on this for a while, I continued to get questions about it and specific to pacifiers, Uh, not just from an emotional development standpoint, but from an oral motor development standpoint. And I just started to realize I didn't have the answers to give. I could answer it from an emotional development standpoint, but I didn't have it from the speech language perspective. So I reached out to my friend Amanda at Simply Spoken Therapy, Mm -hmm. and she is going to join us today to dive into all the questions that I didn't have the answers for, and I jotted a couple of my own, too. I also put this question out to our Facebook group and got a few anecdotes and questions there, so I'm excited to dive into it, but I want you to go into this knowing that this is not coming from a place of shame. And if you are walking around with a 16-year-old with a pacifier, like, that's fine. We can tackle this still. There's no no right or wrong way to go about this. And to be completely honest, I'm one of five kids 
and none of us took a pacifier. My mom was like, but boy, do I wish you would have. It would have been awesome. She was like, I've tried real hard to get you to take one. So uh, as we continue, I just wanted to kind of have that disclaimer out there for all of you. And let's welcome Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hi, how are you? I'm lovely. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm really kind of thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Can you uh, share with everyone a little bit about your background and, and who you are? Yeah, so um, I'm a speech language pathologist. I have been for the past 11 and a half-ish years. Um, I've worked in um, a variety of different settings. Most of my time has been spent in the elementary school or so public school arena. Um, love my job there. I've also done some work in um, pediatric outpatients. I've done adult inpatients. Um, and I recently started my own private practice in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin in 2016. And I've just been really plugging along. And my business is really focusing on, you know, helping kids, mostly kids that are ages two to about like 15, um, with speech sound development, um, looking at social communication, language-based learning disabilities, um, and just really helping to create some well-rounded little humans. I love it. I love it. I love it. I have a blog post about this, but I believe that development, tiny human development happens in a triangle and that there are three large components that I look at in a tiny human when I'm looking at development and I'm looking at the sensory system mm -hmm. and I'm looking at emotional development. And the last piece of that triangle for me is language development. Yeah. I think that if any one of those is off, we're going to see delays or challenges for these tiny humans. So I thank you for the work that you do because it's so important. And I love the crap out of SLPs. I call on, <laughs> call on you folks all the time for answers that I don't have. So thank you. No problem. Um, so we're going to talk about pacifiers today. Okay. Uh, it's a good topic. It is a hot topic, and uh, it's something that a lot of people have opinions on, and I want to kind of yeah. set opinions aside and just talk about science yeah. for a minute. For sure. Uh, and be a resource mm -hmm. for folks. Mm -hmm. So can you start us off by just kind of talking through oral motor development, like the palate and yeah. roll of the tongue and things like that, all these things I don't know a whole lot about. Right. <laughs> so... I think like in terms of, of pacifiers and where they kind of start, there's a difference between sucking and suckling. And I think a lot of people get them confused a little bit about what's the difference. So suckling is what babies do, infants. It's that primitive reflex and it's that front to back sucking motion. That's how babies breastfeed. It's like a front to back. So they're taking the nipple in the front and they're sucking the liquid or the breast milk all the way back. And that's the exact same motion that babies use with pacifiers. That's what they use when they're taking a bottle or even a sippy cup. So those are all like that front to back motion. So the suckling is a reflex that is typically eliminated or it starts to be eliminated between like six and 12 months. Okay. So they go from this front to back motion and then they turn it into sucking which is what we like think about, you know, as a, a baby, it's a more mature pattern. Like, so, like, like we would do with a straw sort of thing? Yes, okay. yeah, exactly. So instead of sucking front to back, 
which is suckling, then the sucking is where we take the liquid and it goes up and down. So if you think about when you put some liquid in your mouth and you close your lips and your teeth around the liquid, your tongue pushes that liquid up and back. Okay. So when you have something in your mouth, whether that's a pacifier, um, a boob, <laughs> whether you have a sippy cup or your thumb, you are not able to get that really it really kind of delays that mature swallowing motion that okay. sucking provides. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Okay. So when you say when you have it in your mouth, it can delay it. Do you mean if it's like constantly in there yes. or because obviously we have to put like a bottle or a nipple in. Absolutely. Food, right. So yeah. I think that there's a difference between using, you know, a pacifier or a kid who has like a thumb mm -hmm. um, in brief moments. Um, if it is like habitual constantly in the mouth, that can be, it could delay some of that development. Now, I will say that a lot of times, like these babies who have like the suckling reflex, that's until they're like six to 12 months. Right. And there's a lot of pros that, are around having a pacifier for those infants. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a lot of research out there about the impact of, of SIDS, and a lot of parents want to give their babies pacifiers to, you know, help reduce the chances of SIDS, and I think that that's absolutely appropriate, and I think it's necessary. Um, SIDS decreases, or the, the risk of SIDS, or the chance of SIDS decreases after about six to seven months. Um, and what that pacifier is doing for those babies is it's keeping them from falling into like the deepest sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so they're constantly using their, this suckling reflex. And within that suckling reflex, they're not getting into these deep, deep sleeps where they could risk the chance of not waking themselves right. up or not breathing. Right. Um, so I think that there's a lot of myths out there about like, you know, when is a pacifier appropriate? When isn't it? I think before the age of six months, give your baby a pacifier. That's how they soothe. That's, you know, how they're going to comfort themselves. And there's like, it's considered a non-nutritive suck. You're sucking, it's sucking, but you're not taking in nutrients. Oh, oh okay. So you're yeah. not feeding. And that is really helpful for babies. Well, I have a question for you. So yeah. you said like there can be delays. Yes why? Like what's happening in the mouth that the pacifier uh, would get in the way of? So after a certain age, and it's usually like around 18 months, mm -hmm. that's when kids are starting to, they're starting to develop more. So you're developing language, right. um, your palate and your teeth and your dentition, all of those types of development are starting to align. And so what you want is you want your palate to expand, you want your teeth to come in straight, and you want your tongue to be in its proper resting position. So I, I'll, I'll ask all of your listeners right now, just close your mouth and sit there. What is your tongue doing? Where is it? It's on the back of my teeth. Yeah. So it sits on the back of your teeth, which is called your alveolar ridge. And that's where we want tongues to sit. If you have a child who constantly puts their thumb in their mouth or has a pacifier, mm -hmm. your tongue is not able to reach that alveolar ridge to create that, that really natural resting position. Got it. So if you have a child who's 
constantly having their pacifier or a thumb in their mouth and they're pushing like it's it's a lot of times the thumb more so than the pacifier it all depends on the type of pacifier you use too yeah we'll get into that that was a question uh-huh. I got <laughs> for sure but the thumb will actually push on that alveolar ridge and because a, a an infant or a toddler and their palates are so pliable and malleable at this point because they're still growing you can literally change the shape of the roof of your mouth hmm. so you can push that up and your palate will become higher the other thing is too and I what think, a, can i interrupt real yeah. quick what effect does that have like does it matter if you have a higher palate was like what came into my head mm-hmm. so if you have a high palate sometimes that will change the, the resonance of your speech sounds okay. um, it will change where your tongue has to hit certain placements to produce speech sounds okay so if you think about um, like the alveolar ridge. So we use the alveolar ridge to say um, the T sound the mm-hmm. t- and the D sound. Um, sometimes the S, some people are tippers, some are dippers. It depends on, on where your tongue goes for your S sound. But there's like the N and the mm-hmm. L. Those are all sounds that are produced behind your teeth. And so if you have a higher palate, you're going to have to put your tongue in a different place. And it might be more challenging to reach a higher point. Your tongue might not be able to get there as easily or as quickly or as efficiently. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out. And it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their Lux women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. 
Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. And then the other thing too is it could be pushing your teeth. So if you have your thumb in your mouth, you're raising your palate, but then your teeth are also going to start creating an open bite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, we can all like think about like a, a five-year-old or a six-year-old and you can look at them and their teeth have like a slight curve to them. Some teeth are, are a little bit more, you know, bucked out is what some people consider it, but we call it an open bite. Um, where some teeth, you can look at those children and, and, and look at them and say like, oh, I think you might be a thumb sucker right. or a pacifier sucker. Right. Um, and so you really want those teeth to be in an optimal position because they're also going to help you with your speech and language development too. So if you think about, you know, having, you know, sounds behind your alveolar ridge, you're also using your teeth to make certain sounds like the TH. And that makes sense. I hadn't thought about like orthodontia from like a speech perspective. Right. And, and I will say that, you know, this is for those kids that are habitual, mm-hmm. their thumb sucking. So if their hands are not busy, their thumb is in their mouth. Right. Or the pacifier, you're like walking around. Constantly in yeah. their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing too about, you know, having that pacifier constantly in their mouth or their thumb is that around 18 months, you have this like explosion of language development. It's so fun. And it's amazing. But at the same time, it's really hard to learn how to produce appropriate speech sounds if you have something in your mouth the whole time. Right, it's like a roadblock. It is a roadblock. And some kids really, like, they find comfort from that sucking. And so if they find comfort from that, sometimes they're not going to want to communicate because this is way better than communicating with somebody else. And so what you want to do is we want to, really make sure that we're giving kids all the opportunities that they can have to really expand and build that language Mm -hmm. when it's the most important years for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have definitely used pacifiers for sure in infancy. I'm like, where is this child's pacifier? And we use them a lot at nap time still as like a comfort measure. Can you speak to that? This is one thing that personally, this was one of my questions. Yeah. If I have a kid who's going to nap for two, two and a half hours, I know everyone out there is like, give me that kid. Uh, <laughs> but if I have a, a kid who's going to nap for that long, I'm, I, have, I have had them in my classroom who are at least two. And they start with a pacifier. Is there, should I then remove it or do I let it go? Does it matter if for their whole nap time they have the pacifier? So if they're two, I would say let them start with it and then take it away. Okay. And see what happens. So, you know, no child, no two-year-old is going to be the same as any other Mm two-year-old. So all children are a little bit different. And I want parents and caregivers to know that, you know, This is just like some tips and some tricks that you can use, but do what's best for you and your child. Um, I never want to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do, but at a certain point, kids need to learn to self-soothe. We want them to be able to kind of lull back into sleep. So maybe one day that 
you know, you lay them down for nap and you give them their pacifier and five minutes in when you know that they're asleep, you take it away. Right. Um, and then the next day, you know, or do that for a week. And then after that, maybe after three minutes, you take it away and then just kind of gradually start pulling it. Totally. Yeah. So I was, yeah, cool. That's awesome. I've also had the like wubbinubs where we have just, they've continued to use the animal and we've cut out the pacifier piece, um, which is not a child's favorite move Uh -uh. for the first few days, but it's usually a few days of it. And they just knew association. Uh, I had a parent reach out who I, I posted, all right, I'm going to do this episode about pacifiers almost reluctantly. I was just, I was nervous to be honest, to dive into this topic because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want people to be feeling any guilt or shame around well, it. They and, they and, and that's important to me. But so she had reached out and she was like, oh, I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, she was like, I got it from like the emotional development standpoint. I knew that there is, we had some work to do here, but I didn't realize from speech. And she was like, my infant, we, there were pacifiers throughout our house and she would just go and grab them and suck as she was playing. And yeah. so part of this, I just wanted to highlight as I've learned from SLPs in, in my village that there, it does have an effect. It does. And it doesn't have to be this way, essentially, right? Like, it's easier to correct things earlier on. So obviously, setting like a palette up for success long term is easier earlier on than correcting things later. Okay. So on that note, you said that not all pacifiers are essentially created equally and that there are different ones that are better or worse or whatever. What shape are we going for here in a pacifier? Okay, so if you have an infant, I love, and I don't have any children of my own, so I haven't purchased any pacifiers for myself. Yeah. However, you can still be an expert if you. Don't I, I was going to say, like, I know which ones are good. So it's the the nooks that are clear, like they usually come in like a pink or a green or like a yellow or a blue, and it's a straight nipple. The hospital ones. Yes, you can literally yeah. put your finger in it. I think so, they're called Phillips. Okay, we're going to go with those then. I, that's like the hospital ones I'm picturing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So those are the, the best ones. And like I can obviously like screenshot it and like send it to you at a later date. Yeah. We'll link it in the, we'll, we'll make sure we have the correct ones and we'll yes. link it in the blog post. Yeah. So those are the best ones for infants because it creates that front to back, that mm. suckling reflex. So you're going to go, you're going to suck back, 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 back. Now, in terms of when you get kids that are a little bit older, so after a year of age, so there's some, what you basically want is you want a nipple that is symmetrical, or you want some sort of a symmetrical nipple for, you know, them to be suckling on. You also want to try to find one that has, like, holes in it. The, the reason like, and around like the kind of like the shield or the safety guard, the reason you want those holes and the reason that they're there is in the event that your child swallowed it or it became lodged in their mouth, there's still airflow. Got it. Um, so you want to be safe about it. So I always like a symmetrical one um, and one that has holes in it for proper airflow. We will, we can link to both of these on the blog yes. post. Now, um, yeah. I'll, 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 we'll snag an email from you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so helpful. So I always like, yeah, a straight nipple and something that's symmetrical, um, and something that has vented airflow. Awesome. 
That's yeah. very helpful. So how and when do we pull in a perfect world? Right. When do you pull a pacifier? I'm very curious to see if it matches up with like when I have in my classrooms, because my yeah. classrooms pacifiers have been present and kids could use them as coping yeah. mechanisms. Yeah. And then there came a time where we would say like, all right, we're going to move into coping strategies for this yes. child. And I'm very curious to see if it matches up <laughs> the SLP perspective. Yeah. So let's so, hear it. I always say that parents should consider starting the process around 12 months, like around a year. That's my timeline. Actively, <laughs> like actively, like only using them at bedtime around 18 months, eliminated for sure by two years. Okay, cool. That, that's just kind of... In a dream world. In a dream world, yeah. perfect scenario. And it's not always going to happen that way. So, (laughs) I mean, and the other thing too, to be considerate of too, is I get a lot of kids in my clinic who have delayed language skills because of frequent ear infections. So ear infections is something that, you know, if you can't, if you have frequent ear infections, you've had a couple rounds of those PE tubes, um, you're not going to be able to hear language. So you're not going to be able to produce it. That makes sense. Pacifiers are notorious for kids after the age of like one year of kind of leading into more frequent ear infections. And the reason being is that by having this constant like sucking, what you're doing is you're opening up that, that it's called your eustachian tube. It's your auditory, it's in your ear and it drains your inner ear fluids. Okay. And you typically like most kids, like if you think about in an airplane, that's the tube that's popping Mm. because you have so much pressure in your ear. So when you are yawning or when you are chewing gum, you're keeping that eustachian tube open. So with babies, if they're constantly on a pacifier, they have this unnatural eustachian tube open, like they're unnaturally open for extended periods of time. And babies have very horizontal eustachian tubes. And as we get older, they become a little bit more angled so that they can provide that drainage from that middle ear. So if you have a baby who's constantly on their pacifier or thumb sucking, they're keeping that tube open. It's a horizontal tube and they're not getting that drainage or of that kind of buildup in their ears so they can be at risk for having more frequent ear infections, which then leads into you can't hear speech right. and not producing it. Very, very interesting. We, in our um, episode, we had, I think it was maybe episode 36, um, we had a chiropractor on who talked about the inner ear and ear infections and how it's related to uh, getting adjustments and yeah. being able to have that alignment in place. Yeah. Uh, it was fascinating to Everything's me. Everything's all connected. It really it's is connected. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, that makes total sense from a drainage yeah. perspective. I yeah. again hadn't thought of that. And uh-huh. um, that's that's awesome. So when we go to pull a pacifier, and I talked a little bit about this in my coping strategies episode, so you can dive into that as well, because from an emotional development standpoint, we don't want to just pull your coping mechanism. No, no, we want to replace it. Exactly. And I personally would like to replace it with a strategy. Uh, Again, all talked about in that episode, what's the difference between a mechanism and a strategy? Essentially, a mechanism is 
something that we want to be temporary. It can be like an unhealthy coping mechanism might down the road look like something like smoking or doing something that isn't healthy for your body, but that makes you feel calm. We want to move into strategies. Um, and I start to do that around one. Yeah. So if you want some hot tips on how to pull the pacifier, you can go check out uh, episode number 38 on coping strategies. But I was very curious about the age here. Yeah. So around one age, you should start to be mindful of how often your, your child is using it. Um, are they using a pacifier? Are they using their thumb? I, if given the choice, you start them with a pacifier. You can take away a pacifier. You cannot take away their thumb. I know. Will- That's so hard. Like, I don't even know how you'd go about pulling a thumb. <laughs> like, I, that doesn't... I, don't. I come at it from like a positive reinforcement standpoint mm. uh, where you might like set timers and if they didn't, if they're like watching a show or on an iPad, those moments where most kids want to have that calming, soothing, suckling, it's usually like during downtime. Mm. Um, so I always like try to set timers and um, reward them for going certain periods of time without doing it. Like, that's fantastic. Like, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Or give them something like you were saying, those pacifiers that have like either like the teddy or attached or a right. blanket attached, give them the blanket and let their hands be busy um, so that they can't put something in their mouth. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I like to start the process around 12 months, just being mindful of how often they're using it and when they're using it. So are they using it, you know, when they're tired and sleepy or are they using it when they're upset? Are they using it um, to to soothe themselves and then trying to like be really intentional about providing them with other ways to self-soothe. So I think like around 18 months, try to limit it to only bedtime if you're still there. So around 12 months, start to like think about it. By 18 months, they should only be using it at bedtime if they're still using it at all Mm -hmm. um, or naps and parents should be going in there and taking it away if, if you can. Uh, and around two years, like most kids shouldn't need it because not only is that suckling reflex gone by that point, but even like they should have a more mature sucking motion and sucking pattern. Mm -hmm. So having that in their mouth and kind of bringing them back to that primitive reflex for extended periods of time is really going to delay the maturity of that sucking, the, the actual more mature swallow pattern. So interesting. Yeah. And from the, again, from the emotional development standpoint, there's more in episode 38. So I'm not going to dive into that, but I love hearing about the oral motor development and just how it's affected. Also, like I'm sure from a speech perspective, like you, I get, you touched on this, but if a kid's walking around with a pacifier in their mouth, I won't respond to kids who have a pacifier. If they try to talk to me, I will uh-huh. ask that. I will put my hand out and say, can I have your pacifier? I can't understand your words. Yeah. But I can imagine that if they're constantly talking through a pacifier, that's got to affect their articulation. Well, yeah. And if articulation is all about like precision of your articulators. So it's moving your tongue or your lips or your, your teeth or your jaw in very specific ways. And so if you constantly are having something in your mouth that you're trying to talk around, you're limiting that movement. You're limiting your like lingual elevation. So your tongue's not elevating how it should be. You're not getting full lip closure together. So M's and P's and B's, kids aren't going to be able to produce them if they have something in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, 
this is like the ideal time when kids are developing these fine motor skills for articulation, they're developing their language, they're communicating more, we have a huge vocabulary and sentence structure expansion around 18 months to two years and this is where we want to give them all the opportunities to talk and it's going to be challenging if they got something in their mouth the whole time. Yeah, so, no, that makes total sense. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. Mm. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So if I have uh, a client that comes in and they have a pacifier, like they're going to give that to me before we start the session. And I'll give it back. But yeah. Uh, Yes. It was the same in my classroom. My kids would walk yeah. in and hand it to me. And yeah. even if you had it for nap, they would nap. They knew they had it. And then they'd wake up from nap and hand it to me. They just knew that was the expectation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's smart because kids are smart. I mean, how many times have we seen like a baby take their pacifier, watch them on like the monitors, throw it out of their crib. <laughs> yeah. because They know that like you'll come in and, and help them get it. But at the end of the day, kids need to learn to kind of be able to soothe themselves. Right. And we want to like really make sure that their oral structures are appropriate too. And yeah. Totally. Well, and I think from a soothing standpoint, there is, uh, I think the biggest question that I get is just like, how, at what age should they be able to do X, Y, and Z? And I think it's often earlier than we think. Um, it is. So yeah, by 18 months, uh, I like to move away from coping mechanisms and yes. strategies. Again, more of that in episode 38. I got a question that I would like to throw at you that okay. about pacifiers, but it's related to the same thing. And I honestly, it's, so when I reach out for these questions, sometimes I get questions and I'm like, mm, this could better fit in this other category. Yeah. And this was one where I was like, which category will this fit into? And I think <laughs> it's here. It's about removing a bottle. So, and I guess I want to also know like, are, what are the implications? So 
this parent reached out and said they have a two and a half year old and their two and a half year old all day long doesn't use a bottle just like drinks from a cup and drinks water and whatever from a cup and is fine but then will only take milk if it's in a bottle the only way this child and they're like we've tried a cup we've gone days without like him having milk and he just will only take it if it's in a bottle and so what do we do here how do you pull I guess my question is like how would you go about pulling a bottle even if it's not specific to this like instance but how would you go about pulling a bottle and at what age should we maybe not be doing a bottle and should we be switching to something else okay so if it's if the child is two and a half at this point milk in a bottle is it's his habit. It's his norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a matter of saying, Oh my goodness, like there's no more bottles. I don't know where they all went. Mm-hmm. Even if you need to like, and so this will go for both pacifiers and bottles. If kids are, are really like wanting something out of there, snip the nipple on it, poke holes in it with like pins or needles because then they're not going to be able to get that oh, the sucking the sucking that they're used to. So snip the nipple on it, throw the nipple away. Um, that's something that I always recommend about, you know, like when they're a little bit older. So like, you know, 18 months to two years, like yeah. nipple, then they can't suck on it anymore. Or if you go out of town, like all of the nipples and all the bottles are gone. Oh my goodness. Right. Um, at two and a half, I would I have imagine. Question. Yeah. Is it something like, say your kid's getting, cause I, I think now of like extended breastfeeding or I, which is actually kind of a term I hate, which was just breastfeeding. Cause there shouldn't be a time limit on it. I think But if you, I wouldn't bet an eye at someone who was breastfeeding a two and a half year old, you know, part of your nighttime right. routine, whatever. Right. So I guess like, is there a limit of like, oh, if they're only doing it for this amount of time for the day, it doesn't really matter? Like, is that a... Yeah, no, I, I guess like that's a, that's a good point too, because it's not like this child is probably going to, you know, daycare with a bottle full of juice. Right, right. Um, you said it's only like milk and it's only at night. That might just kind of be their thing. Um, you can even, there's... Um, different types of nipples that you can get like four bottles that have different flows and different pressures. So as long as they're not doing like some really hard sucking, like if it's like every now and again, maybe not that big of a deal. Right. Um, but if you want them off the bottle, those are some tips. Yeah. That no, cool. I just, that just like popped into my head and all of a sudden I was like, mm, I guess I would treat this differently yeah. if it was a nipple <laughs> in the breast. Uh, so that reminds me, <laughs> this is totally off topic. So oh, yeah. I Vanderpump Rules. Do you ever watch it? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm a reality TV junkie. It's a problem. <laughs> it, it, it's the only drama in my life, which is fantastic because like, I don't keep yeah. it around me personally, but on Vanderpump Rules, Lala, who's one of the characters was on vacation and she literally had a bottle with her. Now this is like a 20 some year old grown woman she had a bottle with milk and honey and she warmed it up and she laid in bed and she drank her her bottle full of milk and it like it was one of those moments where I was like wait what in the world is she doing but I mean that's something she does her teeth are just fine her mouth <laughs> she has great speech and language skills so 
I think if it's in very, you know, small select moments, yeah. then you're fine. If you want to get rid of it, there's tips you can do. Um, but just being mindful of, you know, how often they're doing it. Is it more, so if you, if they still wanted some sort of sucking, would, is a straw okay to use? Like if we move to like a straw yeah. cup, would that be yeah. better? It, you know, maybe I'm just thinking brainstorming here. I'm not sure of all the details on what they've mm-hmm. tried, but if, if an open cup isn't what they want and they want right. to suck, is a straw better for them? Yes. Now? Okay. So, um, you usually, you know, you can go to an open cup and then a, and then a straw, um, it gives you a more mature swallow pattern because you're using your lips to gain closure mm-hmm. around either like the lid, like the edge of a cup or like around a straw. And with a straw, you're sucking back and you're pushing it up and back rather than with a bottle where something is like completely in your mouth. So I would recommend, you know, you can do straws are always going to be better um, than a sippy cup. Those ones that have like, yeah the little like top that comes up and like the three or four little holes. Yeah. I would rather have kid on an open cup or a straw than on a sippy cup because it promotes that more mature swallow pattern. Yeah. That's crazy. That's something that I, uh, actually just last year, we have an SLP that worked at, um, the school that I was at and she Uh came into the room and was just like hanging out during mealtime, checking things out. And she was like, Oh, do you guys move, when do you move to open cups? And I was like, oh, the next classroom. I had infant toddler mix, so I had yeah. kiddos under one starting our classroom. And uh, she was like, why, why do you go from bottle to sippy cup instead of bottle to straw cup? And I was like, this is just what we've always done, right? Like I didn't know. And she, and she pointed the straw thing out versus sippy cup. And I didn't real, I didn't know that essentially she was like, we, there's really no use for a sippy cup. No, there really isn't. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's hard because like, it's an easy, like we always think like kids always had sippy cups. Like I had a sippy cup as a kid. Like, you know, we see them all over. And I mean, let me tell you, if you walk your kid down the sippy cup aisle and they see one with a character on it, (laughs) it's hard to get them away from that sippy cup. Like, oh my gosh, there's a Minnie Mouse sippy cup. I need that. Right. Um, And I think it's just a matter of like not really knowing the difference, the difference between the different types of suckling and swallowing and a more mature swallow pattern and how it really promotes, you know, that tongue and lingual movement of anterior to posterior and up and back. Um, So I, I say like, if you can avoid a sippy cup, do it and go right to like an open cup or a straw cup where they're actually using their, their lips rather than having to like put it on that little like, tippy tap and I think like I think of us just like on the go like we would take water cups with us so it's easier to have sippy cups which often we could like you could close in some manner versus I obviously couldn't do like an yeah open cup on the go with our little and but there are a lot of straw options that she ended up like showing us and pointing out to us uh just to be mindful of like even like the camelback those are fantastic. Um, I think sometimes that they're going to be harder for the littler kids. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of bite down a little bit too in order to suck, but they have options where like the straw part will fold over right? so that it's a little bit more sanitary. Um, and then it can like pop up. And so, you know, you don't risk so much spilling and it, it's, it's really a nice alternative. 
Yeah, no, thank, I'm glad we touched on that and that came yeah. up because that was something I totally, I totally forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I didn't, it was just something that I literally didn't realize. And there have been, this is where all of a sudden, this is why this village was created because I have learned so much from experts in the field who have taught me things that then I can bring to parents that I wouldn't have known if I I hadn't been exposed to those experts doing those things. Cheers to having served hundreds of kids at this point. Yeah, (laughs) A lot of experience in that. Uh Okay, cool. So is there anything else you think would be helpful for us to like leave us with information wise? So, you know, I was doing some research on, you know, pacifier use, thumb sucking and pros and cons. And I know that there's some mixed research out there in terms of, you know, speech language development, but I, I was finding that if there's consistent use for three plus years, there's a kids are three times more likely to develop speech and language issues. Okay. That makes sense. Consistent use. What would that look like? So those are the kids that have it like attached to them Mm -hmm. that are running around trying to play with a pacifier in their mouth or they're sitting sucking their thumb and they're not really like trying to talk with other kids their age. They're not like playing and kind of, you know, they always have something in their mouth. Yeah. And, you know, we want to make sure that kids are communicating because there's, there is research out there that if they miss like a lot of this developmental like growth period, it's hard to catch them up. Right. Um, that's why, you know, doctors are, are so willing to have toddlers with P, with those PE tubes, the pressure equalizing, because kids need to hear language. They right. Need say language they need to you know use their words to communicate for a variety of purposes and functions and if they can't hear it and they can't say it and if it's a cause of a pacifier or if the pacifier is kind of making the situation worse then we want to make sure that we're being mindful of that and giving kids all those opportunities to be you know just really well adjusted and you know always tell parents like if you can't you know get rid of a pacifier like overnight like that's okay do it gradually nobody says it has to be cold turkey there are some kids that can go cold turkey throw it in the garbage give it to the binky fairy right um like you know poke holes in it cut part of the nipple make it harder for them and kind of do it at your own pace but as long as you're kind of replacing their need to soothe with something else so Well, that's what I was going to say. From an emotional development standpoint, please don't do it cold turkey. Yeah. They're using the pacifier because they don't have another tool to soothe. And what we really want for them is to have a tool that can help them process, like find their calm and cope so they can process. So I love that pacifiers have served that for kids for a while. And now I just want to bring in strategies so that when the pacifier is gone, they still have a strategy to turn to. Yeah. And you brought it back to the triangle and saying that kids need to hear language mm-hmm. for so many reasons, for, for social skills, 
But yeah. also this is where the triangle affects emotional development. If kiddos aren't hearing our words and aren't able to communicate with us, mm-hmm. then working on emotional development is very yeah. challenging because oh, they can't sure. understand that we are validating them. They aren't pulling in the language mm-hmm. associated with emotions. And then they aren't able to produce what they need to advocate for themselves to build their emotional development. So this, the thank you for tying that back together. I think it's, it's crucial. Thank you so much. Can you share with our listeners where they could connect with you? Yes. So um, I'm on Instagram at Simply Spoken Therapy. I also have my website, simplyspokentherapy.com. I recently started blogging, so I've got a couple of blogs out there. Um, I have a newsletter um, that I send out monthly that really gives a lot of tips and tricks around language development, speech development, um, things parents can do at home with just playtime with their kids. Um, And then I have a section in there as well that really allows parents to ask me questions. I really love being able to connect with people and part of my mission is really to let parents feel empowered that they have the skills necessary to help promote language and speech development in their kids. And so um, on my newsletter, I also have a section where parents can ask questions. There's, there's no shame in asking a question. There's no stupid question. And um, I really enjoy hearing what people want to know. Yeah. And so all on my website. Awesome. And if we, I mean, our Facebook group, uh, you're more than welcome to be a part of, but it's Seed and Sow and colon Voices of Your Village. And the whole point of it is to have, I have, we have a bunch of experts in there who are ready to answer questions that parents throw in. And it is, what's been awesome is as parents have started to like participate, I think it's really hard to be vulnerable in this group of people. But as people have thrown in questions, so many other people are in that same boat and are walking that same path. And sometimes it's just having the courage to be the first one to ask the question. And other people can say, me too. Like, I also need this. It's so interesting because I will... Um, occasionally post things like either like on like Instagram or on Facebook and so many other people will DM me and they'll say like oh my god I was wondering the same thing and I just want parents to know that this is a safe place that um, I don't really accept any negativity in any of my platforms and there's no question that can't be answered and I want parents to feel empowered and confident that they can reach out and we're all part of this community together. And like you said, it is a village. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in the village and we don't always have the answers all ourselves. And so let's reach out and, and be there to support each other. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It was the same thing. I was getting like texts or emails or DMs that were all the same questions from people. And I was like, throw them in the group, man, because you're all asking the same question. And also then I don't have to write 10 of the same response. <laughs> so come on over to the group, but you are more than welcome to join us and people can throw. Awesome. I will invite you, but people can throw their questions then in there and we, any speech or oral motor development questions. We also have an OT in there and my OTs and SLPs I are, I my, are my core. <laughs> yeah, you guys I all. Love OTs. So I love OTs. The same language. Exactly. So uh, come on over. But we will definitely share all the links here in the blog post and uh, links for people to connect with you to your website and to your Instagram. And thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. 
Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.